This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by Doug Bowman. Doug, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, feels like we're settling in here. Week three. Let's go. Yeah, we're rocking and rolling. And so was Matei Sis. Matei, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. It's it's good to have a nice weekend slate of college football every single weekend. The NFL is back. Fantasy football is back. Went 4-0 this past weekend, the Monday night four game. Four teams? Four teams. I got three. So. 4-0. That's Unbelievable. <laughs> but doing well. Loving it. Uh, wish Evan were here to talk about Connor Bulmeric, but uh, I guess he'll be on next week. <laughs> Yeah, I will say uh, you were exactly who I was thinking of right there when, when that man pranced into the end zone. We'll get into everything having to do with Middle Tennessee State on today's episode of Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. But unfortunately, we have to start this episode on a somber note. James Mitchell, the Hokies captain, the tight end from Big Stone Gap known as the governor, goes down with a knee injury. And we learned today after... Rumors circulated on Sunday, but it became official in Justin Fuente's press conference today that that injury would be season-ending. Mitchell, who a lot of people expected to go pro after the 2020 season, decided to come back and hopefully try to raise his draft stock. Unfortunately for him, the season ends with a knee injury. Gentlemen, this is a big loss for Virginia Tech How exactly, I guess you can't replace James Mitchell, but how can you attempt to replace him? Uh, It's it's certainly not going to be easy. You know, he's probably the best player on the roster. Um, Number one, he's an NFL guy. I mean, he he was an NFL guy coming out if he came out last year and was just coming back to try and raise his stock. So, I mean, anytime you lose a guy from, you know, the top, spot or top spots of your roster that's going to be difficult to replace gallo and drake de lewis are decent they're at least veterans and they've been around the block and um i've played a lot played a lot of football but you know no, nobody's going to replace what he did and what he could have brought to the table in terms of production um i, I think you'll see a little bit of the tight ends pick up the slack but i, I really think you know, you, you remove a playmaker like that, that's gonna it's gonna put a lot more pressure on Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and Raheem Blackshear to step up and and, and you know, probably puts a little bit of pressure on Brad Cornelson to figure out exactly how to how to how to change this offense kind of on the fly here, um, heading into West Virginia where, you know, he would have been a big big part of the offense as he would have been every week. So big loss. I don't think you I don't think you're gonna replace them. I mean, I mean, Virginia Tech's passing game is already limited as is, so probably couldn't have come at a worse time. Um, but, you know, it's it's going to be one of the things you you look at 
this game and probably the against Richmond as well for how how the offense changes. Yeah, I think when you look at James Mitchell, too, it's not like he had the most absurd stat lines week after week. He wasn't single handedly carrying this offense. But what he provided, you know, every week from a matchup standpoint, being able to play in the in the slot, being able to play out wide in line, uh, H back, multiple positions, opposing defensive coordinators had to worry about him in so many different ways, often doubling him, getting safeties to spy on him. There's so many things he provided outside the stat sheet, including being a leader for this team. And it's just a it's a crucial loss. And Virginia Tech sh- shows their willingness to play. They've, they've played three tight ends all season long. They've been doing uh, a lot of two tight end looks and now not having Mitchell there. As Doug mentioned, he's the most talented player on the roster. Um, and so many times we see with the Virginia Tech offense, uh, we talk about guys that are dynamic playmakers, Jaden Payout, Raheem Blackshear. James Mitchell is is one of those guys that you talk about him and he's able to do it. He's there on the jet sweeps in the red zone. He's, you know, doing all different things with blocking and, uh, you know, taking screens, screen passes. So um, he's a huge loss for this offense. Uh, and, you know, replacing him, you can't really do it. Uh, Drake. Delulis, credit to him for coming back. Uh, it seemed like he was was going to be one of those guys that would end up in the transfer portal with how things were going in the early years and now stepping up into that third role. He's going to have to be that guy that kind of takes uh, the receiving duties that James Mitchell had, whereas Nick Gallo, I know a lot of people are excited about him and the praise that he's gotten, but it seems like he's more of the Dalton Keene inline blocker will get a pass every so often, but really isn't the guy that you want to center this offense around. So they're going to have to pick up the duties in multiple different ways. Uh, They'll both have bigger opportunities to showcase what they can do. But obviously James Mitchell was a guy that could do it all and do it at an elite level. Let's talk about the offense more generally here in this middle Tennessee state game. The first half, it was shades of the past where middle Tennessee was hanging in there throughout Virginia tech, they do get off to, to a 14-0 lead. Middle Tennessee State scores uh, at the end of the second quarter. And the Hokies go into halftime leading by only a touchdown. It seemed like these guys were kind of slow out the gate. What were the issues offensively that we saw that were ultimately remedied in the second half? Yeah, I mean, everybody looks at the, the passing game as – as being ineffective, but the slow start three and out there first two first two drives of the game, not what you were looking for. I thought Middle Tennessee State almost surprised Tech a little bit with their athleticism and how aggressive they were attacking the line of scrimmage. But, you know, I think the struggles of the offense in the first half were pretty indicative of of the offense as a whole right now in terms of Burmeister's ability to throw the ball and really the lack of a dominant running game. I think Virginia tech is still trying to figure out how to, how to, how to put together the best offense when you don't have a Khalil Herbert at running back and you have a quarterback that's, you know, still developing as a passer. So I think, I think it was a little bit of middle Tennessee state surprising them. Um, And I think you saw tech, straighten that out in the second half once they got a hold of things. But really, I think it's really indicative of 
where this offense is right now is, is it's not going to be easy for them. Um, both running the football with the tailbacks or if Burmeister needs to throw the ball. For as vanilla as the game plan seemed to be, it was interesting that Virginia Tech was using three quarterbacks, was going up and down the depth chart at, at running back, using different uh, jet sweep players. Uh, they seemed to pull out like trick plays here and there uh, just to beat Middle Tennessee State. I think you know, when you look at this past week, obviously it's emotional. You're coming off a big win over UNC. I doubt that there is a lot of specific drills this past week focusing on Middle Tennessee State and credit to Middle Tennessee State. I think they did a lot of things, at least defensively, that confused Virginia Tech. Braxton Burmeister looked very hesitant to make any mistakes. He didn't want to take any risks. He had that one big play to Trey Turner that I can recall off the top of my head, but that was wide open. So it seemed like he didn't want to force anything. The offense didn't want to force anything. And they were just willing that eventually they were going to separate. And they did in the second half. Uh, but it shouldn't have come down to that. If you're really an elite team, you're putting teams like this away within the first half. But I think that just shows you Virginia Tech is just not at that level right now. Justin Fuente even said in the press conference, this team is not built to blow the doors off other teams, which I don't know if you want to hear that quote, uh, especially after the Middle Tennessee State game. But um, this is this is about the offense doing enough, uh, being consistent enough to drive the ball down the field put up some points, but they're, you know, this doesn't seem to be the most explosive Justin Fuente offense. And I know everyone's going to say he was brought in to put this ridiculous offense, these offensive numbers up, but just the way this team is, don't make mistakes, drive the ball down the field and ultimately just have control over the opponent. And that's essentially what they did over middle Tennessee state. It wasn't flashy, but they got the job done. So would you guys say that your overall confidence in this team went down as a result of the Middle Tennessee State game, or did it kind of just confirm your priors? Uh, I think it's confirming the priors. Uh, You know, we can get into the defense. I think the defense is definitely exceeding expectations and is probably the the positive here, but I think the offense is just about what we thought they were um, or they were going to be. Still figuring out the running game. Who knows if they'll ever be able to put forth a passing game, and and you just know that at some point this season Virginia Tech is going to get in a, they're going to get in one a shootout with somebody who's playing extremely well on offense, and if they can, if they can hang with them is is a definite question at this point, and 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 then the other thing they're going to do is the offense is probably going to throw a clunker out there and really struggle. Um, you think back to that Wake Forest game last year, which was a struggle, and they lost that game. So I think those are the two scenarios that, you know, probably were a concern at the beginning of the season, and I think they still are. Yeah, I think when you look at Virginia Tech, you don't want to take too many takeaways from this past game. I think, you know, obviously the defense is the major storyline here, but offensively, you know, they looked really good against UNC. It looked very in control. There were a few mistakes, fumbles, one interception. Then against Middle Tennessee State, it was just very standard and safe, and there wasn't a lot going on. Um, it, it's a shame because 
They have now they're the number 15 team in the country. I don't think Virginia Tech is the number 15 team in the country, but it just so happens that UNC was overrated and now here they are. So in terms of expectations, there's going to be a lot of people saying that this team is, uh, you know, su supposed to be now a nine and three team. I think expectations don't shift at all. There's still a lot more that remains to be seen. I think we'll get a lot of those answers against West Virginia. I think they did a lot of things. They wanted to keep it bland for the most part against Middle Tennessee State for West Virginia. And I think they included a, a couple things, Connor Bulmerick, Blumrick, whatever. His packages, I think, were especially for West Virginia. I think there are other things included there, uh, you know, fake wheels on screens and whatnot to, to get West Virginia to look. But overall, I don't think there's too many takeaways this early in the season. I think it's going to be a week by week basis until we see like consistency from this team. Going into a few more specifics here offensively, um, Keyshawn King. We said we wanted to see him get a little bit more involved this week after, of course, the fumble against North Carolina. He gets pulled from that game. A decent showing on special teams for King, but receiving just one catch for five yards on the ground, seven rushes, 15 yards, just not an incredibly impressive showing for a guy that might want to cement himself as part of a three-man backfield. Do you think that he's kind of playing himself out of the rotation, or, or are we potentially going to see him get another shot at this, barring injury, of course? I th I think he's I think he's a guy that needs a lot of reps to kind of figure it out. He's um, you know he didn't play at all last year, basically offensively. Only played a little bit as a freshman, so I think he needs consistent reps. I think I think he definitely has a chance to still do it. I mean, you saw him on kick returns, what he's like in the open field. So um, you know, you think about an offense where a James Mitchell-less offense and what Virginia Tech is going to have to figure out is how to make something happen on offense without him. I think Blackshear is a guy like that, and I think a big play guy like Kashawn King is is certainly valuable in that. So I think he's still got a chance. Um, interesting that Blackshear got 10 carries and Jalen Holston only got five here. Um, you know, probably part of that is it was Middle Tennessee State and – Tech probably felt pretty comfortable about where the game was going for a while, but I, I'd be interested to see how that continues to shake out. I, I think really the goal of the next two weeks basically is to figure this, figure as much of the offense out as possible. And that includes King's role and Holston's role and what the running backs look like going forward, figure it out against West Virginia and Richmond and then head into the bye week and then come back for Notre Dame ready to rock. Defensively in this game, a good showing, a very good defense. I'll pump the brakes on some people saying that this is an elite defense right now. I think it's a defense with some elite talent, looking at Amari Barno, definitely looking at Jermaine Waller at this point. But in, in terms of the pass rush, Hawkman just wasn't being terrorized in the same way that Sam Howell was now. Granted, it looked like Middle Tennessee State's game plan was quick passing game, get the ball out of Hockman's hands as quickly as possible. Are you concerned at all by that, or, or is it just simply a different game plan from a different team that, uh, you know, it, for a quarterback that doesn't necessarily have the skill set of Sam Howell? 
Yeah, I thought the Virginia Tech defensive line was going to be a bit more disruptive. I know a few people mentioned on Twitter and on the boards that Amari Barno really didn't have any, you know, tangible stats besides for quarterback hurries. It's also different when you're playing a lefty quarterback and he's operating on the opposite side. Uh, but in terms of the defensive line, I just I thought they did a really good job with the the running game. They just, you know, whether when it was on third down, I thought Hawkman had a lot of time back there. And I don't know if that was by design, if they were dropping more guys. I wasn't really paying attention to that. But uh, definitely the pressures didn't seem to come from the defensive line. There were a few plays, few plays from the secondary. I remember the one Chamari Connor hit that knocked off the helmet of Hawkman. Um, and I think it's just going to have to be a group effort to get to the quarterback. It's not just going to have to be on the guys on the defensive line. Uh, and especially, I think one thing that I'm worried about in terms of the defensive line is seeing late in the game, uh, when you run, when you run down the line of who's playing at defensive tackle and you're going to walk-ons or Wilfred Penne, the tra- you know, from, from, uh, France that was a tight end, then became a defensive end and is now playing defensive tackle for his first snaps against Middle Tennessee State, uh, I think there's concern with the depth and keeping guys fresh, and maybe that's another factor of why they weren't just, you know, pinning their ears back and going for the quarterback. I don't really know. But, yes, there, there's a lot to be desired out of this defensive line, and definitely they're going to have to bring a lot of pressure next week. Uh, that's really going to be the tail of the tape if they want to keep that West Virginia offense off the field. All right, on to West Virginia where the Hokies, and Matej just mentioned this, 15 in the country right now. They go into Morgantown as three-point underdogs. So clearly the people in Vegas, not as high on the Hokies as the people voting in the AP poll. West Virginia is an interesting program. And I think historically, I mean, in recent history at least, they're kind of similar to Virginia Tech in their kind of a a middle-of-the-road team within their own conference, a team with a rich history, a rich football tradition that's trying to push themselves back into the national spotlight. Now, last season, pretty much an even year, four and four in the Big 12. They ended up finishing uh, six and four overall with wins over Army and Eastern Kentucky on top of their conference slate. But not a hot start for West Virginia this year, losing to Maryland in a game that West Virginia was picked by most to win. Doug, we know you're working on your game preview right now. Let's get to the, the the strengths first. What is the strength of this West Virginia Mountaineer football team? Yeah, I think they're kind of like Virginia Tech in terms of they're decent across the board. Um, I, I don't know. You know, Letty Brown is their running back, and he's a really good running back. He's probably going to be one of the top tailbacks Virginia Tech faces all year. Um, they're, they're big and athletic at receiver. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Bryce Ford Wheaton is the guy to watch at receiver, along with Winston Wright, who's getting a lot of attention for his kick returns. But he's in the slot again, which uh, puts Chamari Connor under the microscope once again. Uh, so, you know, they're decent there. Their defensive front is really good. Dante Stills is probably the the bell cow there. Uh, I just think this all comes down to their quarterback play, just kind of like Virginia Tech's comes down to Braxton Burmeister. Jarrett Dagey, how good is he? Can he take care of the ball? He didn't against Maryland through a couple bad picks there. Um, 
that's that's basically what this is. I think this comes down to whose quarterback plays better. West Virginia's fans are clamoring for uh, Garrett Green to get on the field, who's uh, a little more of a dual threat guy than Daigie. But, you know, Daigie played a ton last year and, and is really experienced. I think he started his career at Bowling Green in like 2016, 2017. So he's been around the block. Um so you asked me about the strength. I think the strength is Letty Brown as an individual player, but as a whole, they're kind of, you know, they're a flawed, decent football team that is probably about the same level as Virginia Tech. In, in terms of Daigie, what style does he bring? You know, you said he's a flawed player in the same way that Braxton Burmeister is, but what's his individual style? Oh, he's completely different than Burmeister's style. He's he's not going to run. He's like, he reminds me, he plays like Ben Roethlisberger, but not like young, really good Ben Roethlisberger, kind of like aging, getting on the downhill <laughs> of his career where he's just like hanging out in the pocket until it all collapses. And then when he takes off, it's like a slow moving rollout. Um, so, I mean, he's a, he's a pocket passer. His brother... I think his name was Seth, was the Texas Tech quarterback. So he's like an air raid, straight out of the air raid system, but, um, you know, not as he's not, you don't have to worry about him taking off and running, which, which I think is why part of the reason why West Virginia fans like Garrett Green so much. But um, he'll stand in the pocket and deliver it and, and roll out to extend plays. But, you know, nothing's moving fast, I'd say. In terms of the offensive line play, we know that they brought in Doug Nestor, who, for those of you that live under a rock, played for Virginia Tech the last two seasons, was a West Virginia native who I believe was Virginia Tech's highest rated offensive line recruit in many years, if not ever. So he's in the mix there. How are they doing in terms of pass pro? Is Virginia Tech going to have an opportunity here to get to the quarterback six times like they did against North Carolina? Is their offensive game plan going to allow for that? Yes, I think so. That's one of the big the big things to watch here is Daggy under pressure is, you know, I'm sure a ton of quarterbacks are like this, but obviously he's completing much lower or much fewer passes when he's under pressure. Um, I think last year, they were, I think they allowed 110 pressures as a team. Um, for comparison, Virginia Tech allowed 53 last year with a really good offensive line. So that kind of tells you, you know, how they struggled protecting the passer. The, the guy to watch is Brandon Yates. He allowed 27 pressures last year, which I think was tied for 11th in the Power Five. Already allowed five this year which considering they played Long Island last week and that was a glorified scrimmage. Um, he's the guy to watch. I think that left side is probably weaker than that right side. Doug Nestor has been pretty good. Uh, Parker Moore is the right tackle or, or Wyatt Millum, Milliam, who I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans will remember from the recruiting recruiting trail is, is also on that right side. So I think that's the stronger side. Keep an eye on the left side. Brandon Yates, specifically at left tackle, is a guy that, you know, maybe that's a matchup for Amari Barno to take advantage of. West Virginia, another 
RPO heavy offense, running the inside zone, running the outside zone. How has their running game been so far this year? I mean, I, we really only have the Maryland tape, and I know that's frustrating right now because perhaps they played an uncharacteristically bad game. You mentioned the turnovers were a problem, but given what we've seen so far, how the run game look against the Terrapins? Yeah, Brown was pretty good, 18 for 68, I think, was his official stats, which is not, you know, not going to blow your doors off, but he he's definitely got some ability there. Um, they have a couple young backs as the backup, but it's definitely the Letty Brown show at running back. Um, and they'll mix in kind of the jet sweep, the little touch passes on the jet sweep that don't really count as rushes. So, um, you know, decent, but, you know, I think they're going to rely – Rely on Brown and then and then take to the air mostly. Matei, I want to turn back to you here. Talking about West Virginia's offense, from a defensive perspective from Virginia Tech, what would you like to see this game? You know, we, we, we talk about having individual goals for individual games. Is there a player or a position group that you'd like to see more out of that you'd like to see step up? Absolutely. I think it's the linebackers for me, and I think they've been much better than they were last year. I think the defensive line has been an improvement, and I think the secondary is the strength of the Virginia Tech defense. But when it comes to the linebacker play, you know, I didn't really notice Dax Hollyfield a whole bunch last weekend, and Alan Tisdale seemed to sub out quite a bit more for uh, Keyshawn Artist, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, And, you know, just looking at those two, I think they're going to be so pivotal this entire season being able to cover space. And when you're looking at a guy like Letty Brown getting to the second level, it's a, you know, you're playing a lot different talent uh, than you have the first two weeks. I know we talked about Ty Chandler in week one and saying how naturally talented he was, but the UNC offensive line just never showed up that game. And I think West Virginia, this offensive line, while it still may be decent, might be the best offensive line that Virginia Tech has seen thus far. So really winning the trenches, getting those linebackers to come up and make plays. And then, you know, will we still will we still see those rotations on third down, bringing in an extra defensive back, taking Dax off the field? I think they're going to be targeted a lot more in that intermediate intermediate passing game. Um, so I want to see how they respond to that, if they can keep up uh, and, and get West Virginia off the field. Doug, is there any place where you think Virginia Tech can really take advantage here? I, I, you know, I, I think running game wise, I think there's a real opportunity for Virginia Tech's offensive line to to really dominate. Not, I don't know about dominate, but grab control of this game. West Virginia runs that funky three-three-five defense, which it just it's just got to be a really appetizing for an offensive line to see three three guys and three linebackers in the box. They'll bring they'll walk up a couple defensive backs and line them up all over the place. But, you know, Dante Stills and Akeem Mesidor are the two big guys on the defensive line for West Virginia. And, you know, you you figure if Brock Hoffman and Lasita Smith can can hold them down or, or Tanuda and Lasita Smith, there should be some double team opportunities. You can open up some holes. Of course, that means Tech needs a running back to step up, which is the big question. I think I think the offensive line, West Virginia's defense was really good last year, but they they lost five or six guys um, off that starting starting defense that I think they're still trying to replace. But you know, I I, I think the running game has Virginia Tech has a chance to control this one on the ground if the offensive line comes to play. 
When Maryland took them down, what did the Terrapins do right offensively? How were they able to ultimately pick up a win in a game where they were not expected by many to emerge victorious? I, I'm going to butcher the guy's last name. I still can't get it right, even after the dude's brother was the number two pick or five. Don't even ask me. I'm not talking I'm not about Viola. Just call him Baby Tua. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 Tua's brother. Sorry. Sorry, sir. Um, <laughs> he played really well. Uh, they had a a number of plays that that the Maryland wide receivers were able to find holes in West Virginia secondary. So I think you got to look look for that in this game. It's not about it wasn't about beating them over the top on the deep ball as much as it was sitting down in the holes in the ED, intermediate range. So I think that's a spot where Trey Turner could be effective. And then, you know, I really saw the the West Virginia defense kind of taking themselves out of position. They feel a little undisciplined in terms of how they how they pursue the ball. And I think if you can you can get a couple of them going the other way, make them make. Uh, make them attempt to make open field tackles. You know, I think that's where the success comes from. Maryland had a couple big plays there that kind of swung the game after after Dakey's turnovers. But you know, I think if Virginia Tech's misdirection can 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 create some situations where they're scrambling to get back in position, I think Tech's offense could have a big day. All right, let's look at this from the reverse perspective, though. Knowing what we know about West Virginia. Where do they have the opportunity to take advantage of Virginia Tech? What's West Virginia's blueprint to victory here? Daigie's got to play well. Uh, number one, he, he's got to be efficient. He's got to take care of the ball. Uh, they run a lot of those four wide receiver rub route pick plays, which is going to put a lot of pressure on Tech's secondary. I think Matei mentioned it earlier. I think you're going to see a lot of Dax Hollyfield being subbed out. In, in obvious passing situations, maybe even I think Tech only did it on third down against Carolina, but I think maybe even earlier. West Virginia is going to spread you out and use motion to identify who's guarding who. And I think if Dax Hollifield gets caught in one of those matchups, then that that could be that could be a, a problem. So you know, I think they're gonna they're gonna run their offense and if. Daigie comes to play, I think they have as good a chance to win as Virginia Tech. Matei, Doug mentioned that Virginia Tech has the opportunity to control the game on the ground. Well, two games in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've seen a mixed bag from Holston and Blackshear. If Matei Sis is Justin Fuente's number one advisor on the running game, how are you splitting those carries? Do you prefer one guy to the other? At at this time, you know, I think Raheem Blackshear has shown uh, the most potential out of anyone in the running back room thus far. When you look at Jalen Holston last week, yes, he had that highlight touchdown play. I think it was 29 yards out. Aside from that, he had like five carries for two yards. So he wasn't getting a lot done. He wasn't getting a lot of carries. 
uh, Keyshawn King wasn't getting a lot of carries. What I find interesting, actually, is maybe it's not the running backs that can take control of this game, but the quarterback. When you look at the last time Virginia Tech and Brad Cornelson schemed against West Virginia and their defense, as Doug mentioned, the 3-3-5, uh, Josh Jackson actually had over 100 yards rushing. I know he had the 46-yard long run, but I think when you look at a defense, and especially if they're undisciplined and identifying, and we've seen so often that Virginia Tech is going to throw, you know, they're going to line up in one formation, change the formation, run the the play clock all the way down and hike the ball and run misdirection, run the zone read. I mean, if Josh Jackson can get 100 yards on this defense, maybe Braxton Burmeister is the key with his legs. I know he got kind of beat up last week, and you don't want to see him taking too many of those hits, especially diving head first. Maybe sliding a bit more is is recommended, but I think you know he has the keys in his hand. His ability to you know extend plays, whether it's rolling out of the pocket or uh, running the zone read to perfection, he's going to have to create something that allows those guys to run on the inside because so far. I feel like Raheem Blackshear has been the best at it, but his natural strength is not being inside the tackles type of runner. That's supposed to be Jalen Holston, and he hasn't shown it so far. And then Keyshawn King is kind of looking lost out there. So, you know, I think he has to take the onus on himself and try to make some plays extend, uh, you know, extend plays and also pick up the first down and keep drives alive. Doug, for Virginia Tech's wide receivers versus the defensive backs of West Virginia, one thing I noticed early on in the game against Middle Tennessee is Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and the rest of the guys on that unit, they were struggling to create separation. I mean, this is against a Middle Tennessee State team that you have to assume, you know, Robinson and Turner are guys who I'm sure have pro aspirations. These games should be the opportunity to really pad that stat line. And it frankly didn't happen. With all that said, how much faith do you have in the defensive backs? As you mentioned, they're replacing a lot of guys. They had a couple of all Big 12, all American caliber players that are no longer with the program, either transferring into the SEC or heading into the pros. Is this an opportunity for Turner, Robinson, and the rest of them to exploit that position group, or do you think it's going to be a tough battle all day? I I think so. I mean, I feel like we've been saying this about Trey Turner and Tav- Tavion Robinson for a year and some change now. They certainly have the ability, or they should, or it feels like they should. Um, didn't see it last week against Middle Tennessee State. Didn't really see it against North Carolina. Uh, I think they do have a decent chance. I talked about... Um, Maryland was really effective throwing the ball downfield by just sitting in the zones of the sitting in the middle of the zones. They weren't, you know, taking deep, deep shots over the top as much as it was just finding the soft spots. That feels more like Trey Turner's game. Um, and, and, you know, I think Tavon Robinson is a big part of the misdirection offense that we were talking about earlier. So I think there's definitely a chance the the, the big concern, I think you have to, especially with James Mitchell out now, is that it's it's Trey Turner and Tavian Robinson, and then who? who uh, the, you know, there's two guys that the entire secondary can can key on, and we'll see if how that shakes out in terms of, you know, how they defend them and, and whether, that, whether that makes it really difficult for them to get open, you know, not just this game, but the rest of the year. You talk about 
if you're opposing defenses, are you are you going to let Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson beat you, or are you going to say, you know, Dwayne Lofton and Drake DeLuis go get you know come after us? I you know I think that's a that's a concern going forward, and you know I think that's a a big thing to watch this week in terms of how much separation they can get and how you know how effective they can be in the passing game. Mitchell's absence, obviously a big deal. And he was a Swiss army knife at the tight end position. And you could do so much with him in the red zone. They'd run jet sweeps. They'd put him in motion. Obviously, he was a big target in the end zone. But the real extra ripples there were the stuff you can do, like I mentioned, with the motion, with the jet sweeps. With Drake Delius and Nick Gallo, are those going to be... Like, you know, possible, it, I don't know, possible is the right word, but would it be smart for Justin Fuente to continue to use his tight ends in that way? Or was that more of a Mitchell exclusive facet of the offense that is going to have to be left aside now? And if so, what kind of impact does that have? Yeah, I think I think that was definitely a Mitchell exclusive type of thing. We mentioned it, Drake DeLulis. I mean, he barely played his first two years, played a bit last year, and is now finally having a role. Nick Gallo is a guy that's, you know, mostly playing in line as a blocker. I haven't seen him too much in the slot. Uh, James Mitchell was playing everywhere. So, um, you know, when you have one guy that's primarily a blocker, you don't want to put the ball in his hands or have him motioning out. Uh, and then Drake DeLulis, although he's been playing in the backfield kind of in that H-back role, uh, he's mainly been playing as a blocker from there. So both guys haven't really shown that versatility, at least offensively, to be James Mitchell type of players or at least, you know, imitate that role. Um, so I think they're going to have to look at different ways outside that tight end position group to get, you know, the same type of production, maybe putting Raheem Blackshear in the slot more, um, maybe, you know, carving – uh, or, or moving Trey Turner to that role and having Caleb Smith out wide a bit more. Um, there's multiple things they can do. I mean, even Connor Bulmerick, after seeing him last week, there's different things they can do with him. Uh, the, it's all up to Brad Cornelson, but I, I think you have to look outside the tight ends in order to find a way to kind of get that misdirection or trickery done. But I think what what really is the main purpose of this offense or the main focus, I should say, should be getting those other things like the running game in order, getting, you know, their passing game in order and all that other stuff can come after. But I think they need to focus on finding some consistency, finding an identity on the offensive side first. What are your thoughts on this one, Doug? Yeah, you know, I think Mitchell did so much in terms of, like, Matese lining up all over and was a threat. Um you know, I don't think Gallo or DeLuis, I, I can't say his name. I'm literally looking at the media guide pronunciation guide, and I can't even figure it out from that thing. Um, sorry, Drake. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously step down talent wise. And, and, you know, if you're looking to sh- if you're if you're looking at your offense and, you know, you wanted at the beginning of the season, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson and James Mitchell were your where your where your leaders and, and Raheem Blackshear probably fourth. If you take one of those guys out, I don't think you shift them. I think you shift to turn more Turner, more Robinson, and more Blackshear. I think is is what it should be. Um, 
you know, I always believe that you should get the ball in your best player's hands as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I don't think Nick Gallo is there yet. I think Blackshear, Turner, and Robinson probably are. So I think that's where you see the shift. And um, Jet Sweep's not going away, though. Trey, Trey Turner and Tavion have got that on lock. <laughs> we mentioned how vanilla the offense was against Middle Tennessee. And many people speculating that they were trying to hide some concepts from West Virginia. Is there facets of Fuente's offense that we haven't seen against North Carolina and West or and against North Carolina and Middle Tennessee that you expect to see included in the game plan against West Virginia? I think for sure. I think the number one things that comes to mind is Braxton Burmeister keeping it on the zone read, which I don't think we've seen yet this year. Um it's a risk because, <laughs> as we saw against Middle Tennessee State, things Knox Kadem comes in the game pretty quickly. Um, but I don't, I don't, I can't remember a keep from him. I don't even know if he's had the option yet to keep. So I think that's that's probably one big thing I'm watching. If you're going to bring it out for the first time, I, you know, I think this is a good game to do it. And. Obviously, you don't want anybody to get hurt. You don't want them to get banged up. But with Richmond in the bye week next, you would have some time, you know, for him to take his lumps and and be ready to go. So, you know, that's that's one thing I'm looking for is to really, you know, they haven't they've designed some stuff for Burmeister, but I don't think they've really unleashed the full, you know, unpredictability of the zone read. But is there anything that you're looking for? Maybe, you know, the more I think about it, the more, yeah, more zone read. But, you know, it, it seems like it's it's a pretty standard offense. I don't think we're going to see anything too crazy or too different from what we have seen. Um, if, you if want you the wanna, pop pass? I, I'm actually thinking about maybe like a jet sweep throwback to Tavion Robinson that throws, you know, a pass or something <laughs> that he's done multiple times. He may end up with more career um attempts than Connor Bulmeric at throwing the ball but yeah in terms of things I want to see I just want to see I think standard is fine just make sure that it works I mean getting off the field multiple times against Middle Tennessee State uh in the first two quarters with three and outs with advantageous field position is not the best so um yeah just seeing something consistent from them all right, gentlemen, anything else you want to touch on, or shall we get to our game predictions? Prediction time. I think it's prediction time. All right. Whoever wants the honors. Matei and I were talking before we started, and we this is a decent football team against a decent football team. Um, you know, both pretty, I don't want to say pretty flawed. They're, they have some flaws. You know, I think Virginia Tech's probably definitely not the number 15 team in the country. So I think this is going to be kind of like that Maryland-West Virginia game in the in the 20s, low 30s, um, a little back and forth. You know, probably see some big plays and some and some mistakes. Basically, it's going to be a roller coaster. I'm going to go Virginia Tech 29, West Virginia 26. Okay. Nice close one. I yeah, I'm very curious to see what's gonna happen 
Virginia Tech obviously going on the road for the first time. They've had control in every game they've played so far, albeit it's two games. But they've they haven't trailed at all. They haven't faced any adversity. Now you have James Mitchell going down. You have to morph your offensive game plan. Uh, you're going to be on the road with a loud environment. They're playing white noise in practice where guys can't hear each other from six feet away. There's going to be all types of things. If they fall behind, how will they respond? What's the offensive game plan look like? Can they drain that clock? And and you know try to establish the time of possession in this game. I think Virginia Tech is the better team on both sides of the ball. Um, but I don't think it's a wide margin. I think it's going to be 31-24, just like it was in 2017. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game, but I think you know it is it is two above-average teams, um, but I think Virginia Tech has the edge here, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm, I think Braxton Burmeister will be the, the X factor. I think you have to let him 100% loose if he's been holding anything back the past two weeks. I mean, now's the, the time to let it rip both in the passing game and in the running game. You just got to let him go. I'm going to have to take the negative side here. What I've seen out of the offense over the course of the last, I mean, the second half against North Carolina and the, First half against Middle Tennessee doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for me. They just lost their best offensive player overall. West Virginia has home field advantage. It's going to be loud. Virginia Tech is kind of still trying to find what that offensive identity is. I have all the faith in the world in this defense, at least right now. But at the end of the day, I think the home team comes away victorious. Hope I'm wrong, but 24-20 West Virginia is my prediction. I will also say that when we predicted last week's game, I correctly predicted the score and how it would happen i picked 35 14 so kudos to you pat yourself on the back nice exactly (laughs) get some i don't know what kind of prizes you had to give away to me but i'll accept whatever mail me some beer something (laughs) like that but you say for this week 24 20 wvu we don't need to celebrate if that's right though (laughs) all right well it has been said it has been said. All right, gentlemen, any last words to the folks at home before we wrap this thing up? I, I'm going to say that I, in our season predictions preview that we rolled out right before week one, I predicted West Virginia to win this game. Now I'm predicting Virginia Tech to win this game. I think I I'm, did too. I'm covering all my bases right now. But um, yeah, I just I hope we got to see some sort of consistency on offense, some sort of identity. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun week on Twitter. It's going to be a fun week watching Virginia tech and like a true road atmosphere. Again, I know like we're in week three now, but this stuff is still very new after not seeing any of this last year. So what about you, Doug? Anything? Yeah. I was thinking about how I just changed my pick. I think I just really wanted to see four and Virginia tech against Notre Dame on October 9th and tech's just got to get by this one to, to basically get there. Not, not discounting the spiders, but you know, you, you pull this one out and four and on October 9th against Notre Dame is looking pretty likely. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely in the same boat as you. I really <laughs> want to see that by uh, at that point. What will, Virginia tech, what will Virginia tech be ranked? Like number nine. <laughs> <laughs> Number two the, at this rate. Probably top 10. <laughs> they, yeah. could, should be they're climbing. They're climbing steadily up there. I mean, they could be the favorite in that game, given that I mean Notre Dame almost just lost to Toledo. Notre Dame uh, might be three two by that point. They could play Cincinnati and Wisconsin before then. So yeah. it might not be that hyped of a game because Notre Dame. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough slate for them. Uh, other news and notes here. If you're going to the game, please be careful. Please don't try to get in the war you can't win in the parking lot or something like that. It's only ever ended badly for people wearing orange and maroon in Morgantown, West Virginia. So please don't be an idiot. Don't get yourself hurt out there. Um, thoughts and prayers extended to Florida State fans. That is tough. Oh. Oh, Congratulations there to the guy who propo- on Florida State who proposed to his <laughs> girlfriend on the field after hey, uh, they hundred percent of the shots you don't take, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start your marriage with a. Uh, that had to be an interesting. Like he went in the locker room to for like the coach's post game speech after that, right? Like, <laughs> like she said yes, so he probably you know took a picture, waved to the parents, and. <laughs> then he went and Just then he went and got him Tallahassee during what is a, a you know, a, that's essentially a visual. That picture of him on his down on one knee with all the Jacksonville State players <laughs> celebrating in the background will go down as like a visual representation of the downfall of a once great football program. And I, I just think it's very, very funny. And more thoughts and prayers to uh, Boston College fans. It looks like Phil Dracovic is uh, toast. So they are on the misery injury train this week, just like us. Probably was, more important so for them, for being honest. I, I was thinking about throwing in like a under seven and a half wins before the season on them because they were getting a lot of hype. And, of course, I didn't do it. And I definitely should have now. Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. All right, gentlemen. Well. We will talk to everyone next week. It's either going to be a a sober podcast or a we're going to play another <laughs> game undefeated with college. Sober. Is this a not sober podcast? <laughs> well, you know, sober is a strong word. So somber, sober, <laughs> regardless, we'll get there. So safe travels to everyone out going out to Morgantown this week, and uh, go Hokies. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If, ready PG.